me a little bit about yourself. So, um, who you are. Yeah. Well, um, I'm 49, about to be 50 year old. Um, year old guy, married to my beautiful wife Michelle. Um, together, uh, we have seven kids. Um, right now, I'm a warehouse manager, and you know, this is. Um, I'm in the process of changing careers. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm a Christian. Mm-hmm. Love the Lord. Um, you know, I'm just a, I guess just an average guy. Mm-hmm. You know, love sports. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, goofy sometimes. <laughs> now, you have a little bit of a different uh, sports background than uh, a lot of people. Some people, like myself, we took it to a certain level, right? Mm-hmm. Now, I know you're a modest guy. You, you would, you know, I've gotten to know you a little bit. And this is not something that just sort of just comes out unless someone knows you, right? So, yeah. but I think our listeners would be pretty excited to know a little bit more about your sports career. So, tell me a little bit about it, and um, just at a high level, like some of your uh, main accomplishments in, in sports. So, um, yeah, I played uh, football and basketball over in um, over in Sweden, uh, semi-pro, um, along, and and I coached too for. Uh, 15 years. Wow. So, yeah, it was interesting. You know, the first time I went over there, when I landed on the plane, I'm a 22, 22-year-old kid, skinny, from California, get off the plane, and it's like a uh, foot and a half. No, where it's about four foot of snow. So I'm looking like, oh, my God. Right. Yeah, we didn't see a lot cold. of snow in California, right? <laughs> no. Right. And it was cold, but... Um, the people were nice and, and stuff like that. And I really enjoyed playing sports over there. Mm-hmm. Met a lot of friends and mm-hmm. have a lot of uh, uh, contacts over there. Played basketball. Uh, but I went further with football over there. So, okay. yeah, right. so fo- I, I love football. I love just the contact of it. So, so coaching. So you're getting paid to play sports. That's like every guy's dream. That's pretty amazing. So how long um, did you do that for? So I played for seven years. Okay. And then I got into coaching. Cool. Okay. You know, I had my I had my son, my youngest son, and then uh, I said it was just time for me to to give it up, mm. but don't give it up completely because then I, I love the coaching aspect of it. Okay. Cool. All right. So that that's a really cool background. You know, <laughs> I mean. It's like I think every kid's dream, like, man, I'm, I'm going to go pro, you know. And so to talk to someone who, you know, has actually done it is actually really cool, right? And, yeah. um, But I think that says a lot about you, too, as a person. Like, when you could take something and actually take it all away, you could take that success and convert that into a positive thing for the next career, like you mentioned, right? Right. Like, you know, to be successful in life, you have to be a winner, right? You have to be a leader, and you already have that. So going into this, you know, new career field, you know, I think it's pretty, pretty good advantage, right? Yeah, yeah. And I have the, I have the passion for it. I right. think that's the biggest thing. I think, um, you know, I was both, I was playing both football and basketball at the same time, but I have more passion for football. So I, I made the choice to, mm-hmm. to stay with that path instead of going the path of basketball, okay. which I could have did. I was equally good at both, but I just right. stayed with football. So back on cybersecurity. So we've talked about in the past, but for our listeners, I want to I want to bring up a topic 
that I, I know is really, you know, pa uh, something I'm passionate about, and that's helping people. And in cybersecurity, um, there's good guys and there's bad guys. And right now, the bad guys are kind of winning. Uh, the bad guys can pretty much get into anything they want, um, anyone's computer they want. And I mean, they are, you know, I kind of draw the line at hacking grandma's computer. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, yeah. there's so many innocent people out there and they're getting their files completely destroyed or ransomed and people don't have the money to pay the ransom. So they lose everything. I mean, there was a story here, Larry, about uh, these nursing homes that were hit. Wow. So uh, we're talking like over 400 nursing homes uh, were ransomed and some of the people uh, in the nursing home, um, they needed to get their prescriptions filled and they couldn't fill the prescriptions because those were on the computer and they didn't know what the prescriptions were for some of these people. And can you imagine that? I mean, you're, imagine your parents at a nursing home and uh, all the computers are ransomed. You just need the prescription to help your mom, you know, out, right? And... And uh, <clears throat> these, uh, these hackers, you know, hiding somewhere like cowards are sitting there uh, wanting to get paid, wanting money. And all these innocent old people, the, I mean, the most fragile and the, the weak of the weak, the, the weakest part of our, you know, world of our civilization are sitting there as victims, you know. And so in cybersecurity, I want to help those people. I want to help, you know, people that are being targeted like that. And so you have the good guys and the bad guys. So, you know, we're part of the good guys. We want to we want to get out there. We want to learn this so that we can actually help protect people, right? Exactly. That's that's one of the biggest reasons that that I'm getting into it. That's something that really breaks my heart. I mean, you got somebody's grandmother or you know, we all everyone, even even the hackers have a have a grandparent and I know they wouldn't want that to happen to their grandparent where they can right. fill their pres prescription and right. probably pass away or something like that. I right. mean, that's, that's terrible. Now, one thing you and I share in common, we're both Christians yes, you know, and we both love Jesus. You know, we love the Lord. And, um, that's one thing I, you know, I just, you know, I'm passionate about it. My faith, you're passionate about your faith. And, and we could kind of, you know, bring that into this because, <clears throat> you know, it, it's really, if you take a step back and you look at what's going on with the hacker here, they're choosing money, Right over someone's well-being, you know, right. and when they're going after hospitals now, um, people, I mean, there's been studies I just read on, uh, I believe it was on Brian Krebs, he's a, he's a really good um, source for cybersecurity on the internet, uh, he wrote that uh, there was a 2.7 second or 2.7 minute delay in emergency responders being able to go out and respond to like heart attacks and different things because the computer systems were affected in some of these cases. And so they could, the dispatch was affected. Everything was getting slowed down. So 2.7 minutes responding to someone who's had a heart attack, you know, in an emergency situation, that's a life and death it's situation. A situation. Yeah, and there's already been, you know, um, cases where people have died because of hospitals getting hit with ransomware and uh, life support systems and different kind of uh, systems being affected, you know. So, uh, you know, this is pretty serious. Last year, there was over a thousand public sectors. So the public sector, you know, um, city governments, state governments, universities, wow. public hospitals, uh, over a thousand were hit in 2019 with ransomware. So wow. we have an epidemic 
Um, That's you know, about to start. Man. It's definitely an epidemic. It's definitely crazy. I think this year in 2020, it's actually about to get worse because of recent kind of global events have kind of sparked off some cyber war, right? Now, this has actually been, there's been a cold war kind of brewing um, for many years in cybersecurity. We have a hot war right now in cybersecurity. So there's right. literally cyber weapons. Uh, a cyber weapon I would define as basically an exploit someone has written and uh, you know Microsoft and the people that are responsible for writing uh, antivirus products, mm-hmm. they don't know about it yet. So basically you and I and our computers, they are completely vulnerable to getting hacked because um, really, really top echelon hackers have this code that they know can get in any computer they want. Wow. Uh, we call that a zero day. A zero day means on day zero, when they start launching this code, they have an advantage, a tactical advantage, advantage that no one else knows about. And they could actually start spreading at will. And so now the defenders are in a reactionary mode where they have to get a copy of the code, they have to analyze it, and then they have to go to Microsoft or Apple to write a patch. And then that patch has to get distributed worldwide to start protecting computers. But until that happens... It's already infected. Yeah, they are able to infect who they want, when they want. It's on their terms, right? So that, that code, you know, we call a cyber weapon... That is in a hot warfare right now between nation states. So wow. they're writing code. They're launching that against each other. And what's happening right now, maybe, you know, 10 years ago, it, it, we could actually go back and start kind of looking at some of the first victims. Nation states started attacking civilian entities. So it used to be, you know, pretty much a lot of the conflict at that kind of nation state level hacking team was more nation against nation. What's happening now is we're seeing certain governments like North Korea going after U.S. companies, so civilian companies. Like like a Ford or a, a Kellogg or something like that. Even chiropractic offices, dentist offices, they don't care because what they're doing is they're spreading a blind attack against the entire U.S. population, hoping that anyone will click on a link. And then what happened? this is actually kind of interesting. Uh, I'm describing a particular code um, called Emotet. Okay, mm-hmm. so Emotet is the name of some code that um, wow. comes in the form of a Microsoft Office document. So mm-hmm. it could be a Microsoft Word document most commonly. Mm-hmm. And uh, when you click Enable Macros, it actually runs some code on the background to infect the computer. Right. Wow. And so in the Microsoft document, it typically says something like, hey, this is an office document. You need to click enable macros in order to get the document. And nine out of 10 people are probably going to just click Click that that. button to turn that on. Right. Right. And when that happens, the computer is instantly infected. Right. And that's that's Emotet. So the the authors of Emotet are pretty much non-discriminatory in nature. They send that to everybody. Yeah, they don't care who it is. They don't care who gets it. That is like dropping a cluster bomb on a U.S. city. Because you're not attacking a military installation at that point, right? If you're Korea, North Korea, or you're Russia, and you wrote Emotet, you're not dropping that on a U.S. base. You're, you're dropping that bomb on an entire city. Wow. 
and you, and they don't care if they hurt a hospital. They don't care if they hurt a nursing home. They don't care if they hit uh, a little kid's elementary school and these kids yeah. don't get education. Kids. They don't care. Right. They literally are attacking. So it's game on. I mean, this is this is Seriously. the state of things right now, right? So when this when this thing goes out, this is what happens next. The hackers have signal coming in. So signal is like a, a packet from the infected machine that reaches back out to the hacker's computer and it tells the hacker who they infected. Um, all the information. All the information. And then it ranks it in terms of the number of computers at that location. And so they sort it and they actually sort it to, okay, we just, we just infiltrated a company with a thousand computers. And then we just infiltrated someone's house with one computer. Which one do you think the hackers are going to kind of focus on? One with the thousand. The thousand. Because that's the bigger payday for them. Right. So the fact is, is our machines at home, they may already be infected. Exactly. But it just hasn't been a priority for the hacker to kind of focus on right now. They're, they're, they've probably infected, you know, if I kind of put a number on it, 50 to 60% of all the world's computers at least at this point have, have probably been owned by some hacking group around the world, whether it's North Korea, China, um, Russia, Russia, uh, Iran has a, you know, pretty decent hacking group. Um, Vietnam has a, you know, decent hacking group. I mean, there's, there's hacking groups all over the world. And... They own these things. Now, what they're doing is they're basically looking at the list and they're focusing on the targets that are sitting there waiting for them. So Emotet, it sits there, it runs, and then it's, uh, it becomes what's called a uh, downloader or a loader where um, it will basically pull down additional threats onto the machine. Oh, wow. So the hackers can send a command to it when they want, when they're ready. So this could be days or weeks later after the infection, and they can issue a command to pull down additional malicious code onto the machine to do what they want. So uh, Emotet can bring in uh, something called TrickBot. TrickBot is typically kind of the, the, the second stage. So, you know, in a rocket, you got that first stage to get it up into orbit, and then you got to, and then that kind of falls off, and then you got a second yeah, stage rocket that kind of takes it to the next level. Yeah. So Emotet, its job, it's a Microsoft Office document, and its job is to get you to click on that link. Wow. Once you click on the link, the computer's infected, and it's now the hacker's looking at the list trying to figure out, okay, who am I going to you know, hack? And once they decide, okay, game on, I want that machine, then they'll bring in something like TrickBot. TrickBot, what is it going to do? Its job is to basically spread to the other machines on the network to take them over. Wow. Okay. Now... Now they own everything. Now they have a complete list of who the network administrators are for that company because they're the ones that have what's called privileged access, the ones that have the yeah. keys to the kingdom, the ones that if you can actually hack a network admin at a company, yeah. you can get onto any server you want. So now they've been able to move laterally not only from the computers to the servers. Now the first system that they attack next is the backup system. The yeah. backup system is the target for most of these hackers. And, and it's because if they can actually get into the backup system and delete it and delete the backups, 
then that gets ready for the third stage of that the of, ransom, of the attack, yeah. the ransomware. Right. If they complete backups, uh, they will then move on and typically distribute something like Ryuk. So Ryuk ransomware, we believe, was written uh, mostly, most likely uh, by a group in North Korea. Wow. And there's a couple of uh, organizations uh, like CrowdStrike and a few others that believe that at some point in that code, it was shared with Russia. Okay. To a cyber crime group in Russia who has actually been developing uh, Ryuk uh, kind of since then. And it, it's quite possible, in my opinion, that the, the Russian cyber crime group, group that got a copy of Ryuk, um, they're, in my opinion, probably also responsible for Emotet because uh, Makes sense. they got the Emotet and then now they can bring in the Ryuk. Whereas I, you know, in my opinion, I think North Korea just wrote the ransomware initially. Okay, so one of the things TrickBot does when it gets on a machine is it disables the antivirus. Right, that's the first thing we want to. Yes. So you get into the system, you disable the antivirus, you delete the backups, you bring in the ransomware, and it's game over. Now this stuff, it happens at the rate of about one computer per second. So if you have a thousand machines... It's game over in about a thousand seconds, and that's not enough time for someone in IT to really react. You know, right. a, lot, a lot of the times IT they'll start turning off machines. Right? It's not a bad, not a bad strategy. But can you really get to every machine in an organization? You know, with ten thousand computers, you, you really can't. No. Now, there's an example of this. Um, I think it happened to Marriott here. Oh yeah. Yeah. The Marriott Hotel. It yeah. was big when when they got a hold of people's credit card information right. and stuff like that. Right. It's it happens. It happens like lightning, like very quick. So, but it is a common strategy to start shutting down machines. Right. You know, and it's it's not a bad strategy because if you think about it, if you shut down all the machines, that initial computer that became the the infected the infected the beachhead that is sending signals back. That allows the attackers to, to reach into the network and spread. If the if you can cut off, it's called the command and control channel. If you can cut off command and control, that allows you a little bit of time, a little breathing room to kind of start rebuilding your systems, right? So that's right. generally why that strategy is there to start shutting down. So, um, yeah, interesting stuff, right? The the ransomware wow. once it gets once it gets actually in there. Um, it's, it's usually game over at that point. We're talking, you don't have backups anymore, so you can't recover your data. You have two choices now. Right. You either pay the ransom, right? Or you got to destroy all your... You lose all your data forever. Yeah. And so some organizations have actually gone out of business. I was just reading about that. It's in the headlines. There's an organization. Um, they, uh, now this is actually interesting. They paid the ransom. And the hackers were not good, upstanding, moral people. They didn't give them the the code to unlock their stuff. Oh, yeah, of course. So here you go. These people paid the ransom. They can't unlock their files. And they had to go out of business. Wow. You know, so as a small business owner myself, I mean, let me tell you, if if I had to tell my employees, sorry, you know, we're going out of business here. 
that's affecting a lot of families, right? Yeah, that a lot is, of people. That is rough. That is really hard, right? Wow. So that's what's going on today. That's actually, you know, an example of a real world um, incident. Now, this is happening at the rate of five to fifteen per day. Wow. And, you know, that's that's generally the rate. About you know, if you think about. Uh, we mentioned um, there was a thousand public sector organizations that got hit in 2019. That's just public. The private sector, it's way worse than that. But the numbers don't get always reported. reported. Yeah, because they because are. they don't want it to affect their stock price. They don't want to necessarily you know alarm or hurt their reputation. They don't want those public relations problems, right? Right. So, in the private sector, it's pretty bad. Now, you know. The FBI and different, you know, um, groups want people to report so that they can track it. Um, but if you think about it, I mean, if you've if you've been ransomed and all your files are deleted and everything's gone, I mean, what can the you know what can it, the law enforcement really do for you? you know, that I mean, they can send a forensic team in there and try to try to look at it. But try to look at it. But these these hacking groups that are you know at that level, they don't leave a whole lot of traces. Um, right. The initial connection typically comes in from another victim's network. Oh wow! Yeah. So what they what the hackers will do is you know they don't make the connection from their home machine, right? They'll actually connect to uh, another infected machine, maybe connect to then another country, and then another country, and then from there maybe then bounce off and infect you know uh, that company. So right. there's. Um, very difficult to trace, you know, that kind yeah, of thing. Very, right? Yeah, very, yeah, yeah, you got to sit there and hope for something and yeah. see a mistake here or there. Yeah. In a lot of these countries that host these hackers, there's no extradition treaty. So even if we did have the evidence that they did something wrong, their host country isn't going to turn them over to law enforcement for prosecution. You know? Right. So, so, you know, if you're a hacker, you know, and you know that there's no way you're going to jail and the average ransom payment for one of these like big company takeovers is $700,000. We're starting to actually see there's a new uh, strain of ransomware called Maze Ransomware. Um, wow. It's going in the, in the millions of dollars. And uh, that's, that's attracting a lot of attention by people. I mean, some of the countries around the world, a million dollars is extremely significant, you know, uh, an attractive goal, you know, for, for a hacker, uh, you yeah, know, yeah. In, a, in a poor country, right? Yeah, a million dollars, they'll be set for life. Can you imagine the temptation? Oh, yeah. And I can imagine, like, some of those countries, especially like North Korea, that that is a poor country. That can be uh, a source of income for the country. That's right. So, uh the United Nations issued a report on that. Mm-hmm. And they said that the U.S. sanctions are so crippling that the government of North Korea has actually set up a hacking group that is specifically doing ransomware to bring in revenue because the sanctions are hurting them so bad. So the ransoms, um, the U.N. reports that I think that the North Koreans have been able to get a billion dollars in ransom payments. A billion dollars. So if you think about a, like the, you know, the effect of a sanction affecting a billion dollars, right. this is how they're getting the money back. So they're literally pulling it from U.S. companies, companies. 
Right. Uh, you know, they're having their way at it. So how do you stop that? I don't know. I mean, the, uh, yeah, we, I think you have to be more proactive. You got to attack the attackers mm. in some type of way, mm. you know, be more on the offensive and not on the defensive. And I know I heard of you can, you know, you're supposed to have your, you should back up all your stuff on a different server. Yep, that's right. That's right. And then, you know, you have your main server, but you have your backup on a, on a different server. That's right. So if that does happen, you can still, you still, your stuff is still backed up. You nailed it. You perfectly <clears throat> nailed it. The number one deterrent to ransomware is a backup. Yeah. If you have a backup, you don't pay the ransom. If, if people stop paying the ransom and there's no money in it, right. then that hacking group is wasting their time. They're going to figure out something else. They're going to move on to something else. Right. Backups are the way out of ransomware. Right. So we have to help organizations develop backup systems that are impervious, that cannot be penetrated. Right. And <clears throat> so I had a conversation yesterday um, with a organization that's responsible for uh, radio stations across the United States. So they, they basically own a lot of the radio stations uh, across the U.S. Wow. And I won't mention their name due to our NDA Good. with them, right? But we literally had a conversation about backups because two of their competitors have been hit with ransomware very recently. And this is a problem for radio stations. If, imagine you're in a studio and you have a computer that has all the songs that your DJs are playing on air. And content and stuff. And boom, that thing gets ransomed. What are you going to play on air? Nothing. Right? And will the advertisers really be paying if you can't play their ads on air? Because those are all on the computer too. Those are all hit, right? Right. So that's a revenue impacting issue where that business can't, can't function, right? Right. And the way... Um, or the conversation I was having with them yesterday was you have to treat that backup system like it's the most important thing. As a matter of fact, I said in this conversation, you should probably have someone leave this conversation and go focus on this problem right now. Like that's how, that's how urgent this is. Like this ransomware, this could hit you tonight. This could hit you tomorrow and you need to expect it's going to hit. You need to actually assume it's going to hit. Exactly. And, have a plan in place ready to restore this backup. So we went into excruciating detail on backups. And I think it's probably, we should dedicate an episode to securing backups and how to do that and, and right. actually talk about that. Because I think listeners would probably really want to uh, to dig into that. To dig into that. Yeah. Yeah. I think anyone that listens, they that's something that they would just love to just to hear about. Just, right. you know, how do I have my backup system and how do I create one that it's that is impenetrable that's right you know that's right you know, yeah so, so. We, we'll talk about like the common flaws that 90% of organizations are doing with their backups and then we'll talk about some organizations that have been able to successfully protect their backups from ransomware how did they do it you know so we'll right. kind of share some of those some of those tips oh man that'd be awesome that'll be pretty cool that'd be pretty cool awesome. oh yeah Okay, now Larry, I want to get back to you, so I'm going to switch gears and uh, get a little bit more into your history. You said you've been thinking about cybersecurity for four years. Four and a half years. Tell me about that. Like, so the whole thing about that is, it's something I don't know. I think 
I think the Lord put that in my put that in my heart and just put that on me. And why cybersecurity out of everything? I don't know. But it's something that he just put on me and then just it's just drew been drawing my interest ever since. Now you had a relative, correct me if I'm wrong, in DC that was working for I believe it was Treasury. Yeah, he and, was the head of cybersecurity for US Treasury. And that had some influence on you a little bit. Yeah, it did because I was already um, looking, you know, to do cybersecurity. And then, you know, this is a cousin I haven't seen in over like 35 years. Mm. And I only, knew, I only knew of him because I was a little, I met him when I was a little kid. And he was like a flashy Mercedes and we go out and eat. And mm. Then, you know, we're talking. And then he's like, yeah, Larry, you got to come up visit me sometime at the U.S. Treasury Department. I was like, huh? Mm. So what do you do there? You're like, mm. banker or something? He said, no, he said, I do cybersecurity. And mm. I was like, man, that's something that I've been looking uh, looking to do. So uh, I had, I came to the U.S. to, to visit uh, D.C. for a couple of weeks to see if I liked that area and, and Maryland. And then leaving and going back to Sweden because I was, I was over there at the time. I said, this is... I was like, wow. I mean, it was just, everything was kind of like mind blowing, mm-hmm. but it was awesome. And so, um, he was, he was an influence on you a little bit. Yeah. And, um, and then in terms of, uh, education and stuff, I know you were looking at some different kind of education options. So tell me a little bit about that. Like what, you know, what were you planning on kind of studying for cybersecurity? At first, I didn't know because I was I'm I'm researching. I'm putting in cybersecurity and then just like um, information technology and you know a, a whole host of stuff. But I said that has nothing to do with security. So you know because I didn't know, you know I I didn't know you had to learn how to you know be a programmer. You have to right. learn those things to get into the other part. So I'm sitting there like, man, where's the security part of it? I'm th- I thought it was totally different, but right, but it's not right. And then um, in terms of like uh, some of the certifications and things you're actually considering, what are some of the things you're looking into to kind of prepare for a career in cybersecurity? Um, uh, So I have been for the past year (laughs) um, getting everything straight to get into a school called My Computer Careers. And they're going to help me with all your all the little certifications you have to get on the way. I think. One was like a A double A. I don't know all the names of the okay. certifications, okay. but they had like a whole. I think it's about four or five of them. Okay, maybe for our listeners, because mm-hmm. we're gonna have a lot of listeners on the podcast, right? Maybe for our listeners, we'll put a link to that school so that those that want to get into and and kind of see that after you've kind of maybe gone through, it, then you can actually endorse it and say, yeah, that was great, or yeah. you know what your experience was. Yeah, yeah, but I won't mention it now because that's something right. that we don't want to endorse now. What if the school is terrible? Yeah, that's we true. Yeah, we don't know yet. Don't yeah, know. but it'll be fun as you're going through that journey, right? Because mm-hmm. we want to do these kind of podcasts regularly to update our listeners, listeners. about, you know, like what's yeah, what's going on. It's kind of like a remember the Truman Show, yes, the movie, yes, kind of like when they were following this life, kind of yes, going through the stages, yeah. And this is kind of like that, but it's not like following my life, but it's kind of right, following right. the stages of exactly because I think you know there's a lot of people that want to get into this career. Yeah. But they don't know how. Yeah. And so what we what we were talking about, kind of the vision for this podcast, is to share our story, you know, uh, like me as a mentor helping someone get into cybersecurity. And then that way, 
if there's a lot of people that want to get in this career, you know, they can listen and kind of just, you know, hear the story, you know, the process, right? Exactly. So we're just kind of sharing that knowledge and, and, it, and this is kind of fun too, right? No, this is awesome. So the whole thing was what I think is so crazy too. So the Lord put my, my cousin that I haven't seen in years in, in my life and then he put you in my life. That's right. Yeah. And it was, it was so just like surreal when I, when I kind of think about it. Because I never, I didn't know that you did uh, cybersecurity. So right. we go over to Dan's house and we eating and stuff. And then I, I told you my interest, and mm-hmm. he's like, "Yeah, that's something I do." And I'm sitting there like, "Like what? Like God? Like this is right?" And, I and, that. and it's so crazy that he put on me that like four and a half years ago. That's wild, right? It's it, and it's, it's a true, true story. It's, it's, it's true. Yeah. It's it's crazy. Yeah, so we were, you know, we were just, you're right, we were uh, at a friend's house, a mutual friend, and we're um, eating, and, uh, you know, the topic came up, and since then, man, we've we've stayed in touch, and we've kind of been preparing for this day, right? So this, <laughs> today's the launch day. Yeah, today's it is. Like the launch day, right? The launch day. And um, so we'll talk in this part, maybe not this episode, but we'll have an episode about building a lab, yeah. you know, creating a lab for hands-on testing, because... We can talk all day about cybersecurity, but the human brain is built to have hands-on experience, to like remember those things, right? Yeah. Talking is one thing, but when your hands are on keyboard and you're typing in commands, then it's like real. Okay, here's how you actually hack a box. Here's how you protect a box, hands-on experience, right? So some of that will be definitely more uh, suited for our YouTube channel uh, because it'll have video, you know, like showing how to do things, right, than the audio. But the audio will be talking about kind of the journey. We'll kind of check in and, you know, talk about the progress of all that. Well, that was a really good conversation. We covered a lot, you know. We, we talked about hackers and everything. And But, Larry, what do you want to talk about next week? What's, uh, what's top of mind for you? Um, yeah, just... Uh... The, the whole um, how to get into cybersecurity. What is what what is cybersecurity? Okay, yeah. So, what are some of the kind of the top questions you'd like to get into next week? Uh, like some of the careers, like um, a penetration technician or um, a security architect okay. or right. or some of the 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 hunters, the 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 incident responders. Like, what do they do? You okay, know, are the forensic part of it. Awesome. So next week, Larry, also, so we'll answer those questions. Also share with you a story of a guy I mentored um, who he got out of the, um, the military. Okay. Uh, we spent a little bit of time together. We showed him how to build a lab and then he was able to get into, um, he was actually able to get hired as a security operations analyst for one of the um, government's leading um, agencies. So uh, wow. we'll spend a little bit of time talking about his story. And um, thank you all for listening. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Uh, Please share this podcast with anyone you think might be interested in a career in cybersecurity. And thank you all for tuning in. Thank you.